Hello and welcome. You found the Social Work Podcast. My name is Jonathan Singer, and I'll be your host as we explore all things social work. In this four-part series on pathological gambling, I speak with Jody Bechtold, a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Pennsylvania. Her clinical experience includes working in an outpatient substance abuse treatment facility and maintaining a private practice where she specializes in addictive disorders. She's currently employed at the University of Pittsburgh School of Social Work Field Education Department and is also an adjunct faculty who teaches a Models of Intervention course and a Drug and Alcohol elective to master's students. By August 2007, she anticipates having her NCGC1, the Nationally Certified Gambling Counselor Certification. In this segment, Jody and I talk about the process of becoming a Nationally Certified Gambling Counselor. As with many certification processes, this one has many steps, and you might find it useful to listen to this podcast more than once. So, Jody, why is it important to talk about gambling certification uh, for counselors in Pennsylvania right now? Currently, as the casinos enter the state, there was lots of legislation behind get letting casinos come into the state. And some of that legislation, uh, particularly Act 71, also had written into it that you needed to provide certified counselors for those who become problem gamblers or pathological gamblers. So it's part of the legislation that there needs to be ways to get help for individuals as they also allow casinos to come into the region. Currently, there's no one that's certified in the state. Many are working towards their certification, whether you are already part of the Pennsylvania Certification Board, known as PCB, or if you are like we are social workers, licensed social workers. For the PCB, you must hold a current and valid credential with them already. The most recognizable one is the CAC, also known as the Certified Addictions Counselor. When you see those initials after someone's name, you know they've gone through a rigorous process to become certified. The national certification, hence the name national, is a, is a certification body for every state, and they allow the states to modify some of the requirements, which Pennsylvania has also done. The thing is, with social workers, they aren't typically part of the Pennsylvania Certification Board or the PCB, and so they have a very difficult entrance into that board to get certified for gambling. So the national certification is one that is more recognized and one that fits better with what they're doing as social workers in terms of some of their other continuing education credits, any of their other professional development. It allows them to also address that as well. Again, like I said, the state's not really prepared because the money to treat problem gamblers, pathological gamblers, isn't available until after all the casinos are already up and running and the revenue is generated and then a small percentage of that revenue is then dedicated to the treatment. However, the, the Department of Health was charged with getting everything else in place in terms of getting counselors certified, providing trainings to get the state prepared before there was ever any money released. So the state is trying to operate on a budget that doesn't exist. But it sounds like the state is trying to get certified gambling addiction counselors in advance of this legislative requirement. They are. And I guess the, the other catch is that, as with any training, you do need the time to work on this, and they're trying to fast-track it. And it's pretty difficult to fast-track something when you need the time to, to learn it and to be trained in it. Uh, so that's the other catch-22 that they're in, is how, how do we get as many people into the system as possible, as quickly as possible, 
when it usually takes a year and a half to do so. And the year and a half is through the national certification. Right. The national certification and uh, working with gamblers. You know, not everybody has a full caseload of pathological gamblers right now. So it's very difficult to log your supervision hours, your clinical time with gamblers when it might be 5% of your caseload. So I can see why this would be an important thing to talk about in terms of why now in Pennsylvania there's there's no money to train counselors, and yet there's a legislative requirement that they exist. The casinos are coming in, and there are two different boards that you can get your license through. Is that correct? There's the PCB, and then there's the national. Right. The Pennsylvania, they've modified it, and I'll go into the requirements for that. And then the national gives a set of guidelines that they want each state to adopt as closely as possible. However, each state does um, have the ability to modify those guidelines within the within the parameters. So I'll also go into that. The other key thing to know about is a lot of times people will say, well, I'll just go work for an agency that treats gamblers, uh, pathological gamblers, problem gamblers, and then that's how I'll learn. I don't need a certification. Because that's typically the way it was done with the drug and alcohol treatment centers. The agency was licensed. The governing body, the Department of Health, oversaw the agency, whereas this is completely different. All of the treatment money, when it is available, does not go to an agency. It goes to the individual that is certified to treat pathological gamblers. So the funding stream is completely different. It's based on the individual's professional development as opposed to the agency. That's really interesting. So that would be a pretty important reason why I, as a social worker, would need to get certified in the uh, treatment of pathological gambling. Absolutely. It, I mean, when you think about different funding sources and funding streams, uh, you become a more, more of an asset to an agency in terms of employment. You have more of your caseload focused on treating the, the pathological gambler because that's how the money can come through to the agency. So there's a lot of career development behind this that each individual has to put up the hard work initially because they want to do this, but it will definitely benefit their careers with the agencies that they choose to work with or if they choose private practice. So Jody, tell me a little bit more about these two certifications. Pennsylvania Certification Board, uh, when they had investigated and researched the national certification requirements, um, they came up with what was considered a certificate of competency in problem gambling. And again, you have to be a current member of the PCB in order for this to apply to you. There are some social workers that are a member of the PCB, so this is one avenue that they can pursue. I don't advise anyone who's not currently a PCB member to do this because it actually is very lengthy to get into the PCB to then get this competency. The other thing is the PCB's uh, competency in problem gambling is just that. It's a competency. It is not a certification. Words mean a big deal. And what all of they are, that they are requiring is that you have 30 hours of gambling-specific training to then become competent in problem gambling. So 30 hours, if I were to do a master's degree and I had to take 30 hours, that would be three hours a week 
over 15 semester over over 15 weeks that would be one three-hour credit class is that what you're talking about no this is truly um, taking a training that is six hours long and you get six hours credit so it would be a five-day investment in gambling specific training and so that would allow you to be competent that's right and with a very small fee and again Go back to what I was saying. The state is doing everything they can to make this accessible to as many people as possible. And this is one way of doing that. So after you understand what the PCB requirement is, let me talk about the national requirement. The National Council on Problem Gambling has put on their website, and I'm going to quote it, what they talk about is the certification process is designed as a national minimal standard. They post the requirements, and then they want each state to adopt it as they see fit. So I'll let you know how Pennsylvania has adopted those. Uh, The first level is called NCGC-1, so Nationally Certified Gambling Counselor 1. So that's the entry level. As you accrue more hours and more supervision, then you can move to the NCGC-2. And then the final level is the Board Approved Clinical Consultants. Typically, it takes several years to get to the board-approved clinical consultants level because of the other stages and the hours that need to be accrued mathematically. It's impossible to jump right to board certified because of the the years. Um, On their website, they have all of these listed, and they also have a counselor search. And currently, if you go and look under the counselor search by state and you click on Pennsylvania, well, you can't even click on Pennsylvania. It's uh, not listed. So that's what I mean by there are no nationally certified counselors in the state of Pennsylvania right now. So if, let's say, I had a gambling addiction and I went to the website, who, who would I go to if there was nobody in Pennsylvania? It's a very discouraging problem. Again, that's why the state is doing everything they can to make as many people um, accessible. They would see a hotline number and they would probably call the hotline number and then get referrals that way. Depending geographically, you know, Philadelphia is very close to Delaware, very close to New Jersey. They might actually seek services in a different state. Um, Same thing with uh, Erie in Pennsylvania is very close to Ohio as well as New York. So any of the um, bordering states that we have in Pennsylvania actually already have certified counselors. So that's currently what someone would do if they went to the website today. So you, you outlined some general steps that you would need to go through to get the uh, NCGC certification. Are there specific steps? Yeah. The um, NCGC one, you, you need to be a bachelor's level or higher. And what I really like about this in terms of the podcast for social workers is a lot of our graduate students can actually get started on this right now because they've already met the education requirement. You don't have to wait until you're post-master's. You need 30 hours of gambling-specific training. The key here is that it's an NCGC credit. So just like we're used to seeing for continuing education, if it's licensed social work credits towards our license, this one needs to also be NCGC in its specificity. I can't believe I even tried to say that word on this podcast. (laughs) Specificity. So anyways, you you need both. Um, And that's the other way that you kill two birds with one stone if you're already licensed is you get the NCGC and the LSW credits for the same training. Oh, that works out well. Right. You also have to seek supervision. And this has probably been the single barrier in Pennsylvania that led to the PCB 
coming up with their competency in gambling treatment because the supervision piece is very difficult. If there aren't any certified counselors in Pennsylvania, then how are you going to find a board clinical consultant to be your supervisor in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's a real catch-22. Absolutely. Yeah. So the barrier, um, I think that the National Council has done a great job of working to remove that barrier. Every state has a council on compulsive gambling. That's also part of the requirements of any type of legalized gambling is that every state has that council. Um, Ohio's council offers supervision the last Saturday of every month via phone call. You pay for it, it's two hours at a time, and a board-approved clinical consultant runs that phone supervision. And it's I've been attending it for uh, almost a year now, and it's wonderful. A lot of people from Pennsylvania are already using it. People from Ohio, so you get to hear regionally some of the issues. People call in that are employed at the VA hospital, and you get to hear something very different on how to treat pathological gambling with possibly a PTSD disorder. Uh, so there's some, some wonderful knowledge that's exchanged over those two hours. And part of that supervision is you need four hours of supervision for every 100 hours that you are working with problem gamblers. And the 100 hours is actually uh, fairly loose. That does not mean 100 clocked hours or billable hours face-to-face with the problem gambler. That includes all documentation, phone calls to referral agencies, all of the things that go into treating this population count towards those 100 hours. But you need four hours of that supervision that someone signs off on per 100 hours. So for the NCGC, you need four hours of supervision in order to qualify for the NCGC1 status. I'm glad that you clarified that because there's a big difference between 100 sort of billable hours and 100 hours uh, working on various things having to do with treating somebody who has a gambling addiction. Definitely. I, I mean, myself included, when I was recording all of my hours, you don't realize that 100 hours can take a long time if you have a caseload of two. So once you get the four hours, then you're eligible for the NCGC1. You are. And the part of the eligibility is you have to then pass an exam. So anyone that is prepared or has already passed our LSW or LCSW exam, um, this one is not nearly as intense, although it has as many questions. But they're all focused just on pathological gambling, which is very different than when we were prepared for the LSW, and it was a wide range of information. But you can actually sign up for the exam and just take it because there's a section on the exam paperwork where the supervisor has to sign. So you definitely need your four hours and your hundred hours before you can sign up for the exam. The other thing is the exam is only offered three times a year. So again, that's another barrier in terms of the state getting prepared is you have to fit conveniently into three times a year to take an exam. Very different than we know today of signing up for the licensing exams where you can get the next Saturday appointment just within a phone call. That is very different. Uh, Do you know if they're planning on changing that? Um, I don't know the particulars of that because it's an outside agency out of New York that oversees the national testing. Again, because this is national and something that all states have to follow these, the same process. Or is there more 
uh, specifically that somebody has to do for NCGC1? Well, I'd like or- to give you a little bit more information about things that constitute with the 100 hours, okay. as well as why I make such a strong difference between gambling competency of the PCB. They never even put in any of their uh, requirements that you have to have ever worked or seen a gambler before. So that's very different than what I'm talking about with the national certification. So you have to obviously be working with uh, the pathological gambler, problem gambler, and or their family. Even just working with their family constitutes documentation time, clinical time, and counts towards those 100 hours. Everything from case consults, treatment plans, the actual session, the phone calls to the other referrals, probation officers, um, psychiatrists, any of those phone calls. GA meetings, so that's your Gamblers Anonymous, helping them to find the GA meeting nearest them, the Gaminon for the family member. If you conduct any family sessions, which you have to do with gamblers, uh, family has to be involved. And so Gaminon is like Al-Anon. Absolutely. Okay. N-A-G-A-A-A are for those affected by their addiction. Gaminon, Naranon, Al-Anon are for the family members affected by the addiction. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Sure. Um, The other thing you can do to prepare, again, is to attend all of the trainings that you need. Um, The School of Social Work, Continuing Education, is already planning to provide more trainings to make things more accessible. Again, every effort possible to remove barriers so that more and more people can get this certification. Um, And you need to uh, save some money. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the hard part because, again, with all of this, you have to pay for your supervision unless you can get your agency to pay for that. And that's where a different dilemma comes in because, again, this is a professional development certification for an individual, and yet you want to convince the agency that you're working for to pay for this. However, they don't get to keep it if you leave. Because it's not based on the agency, it's based on the individual. Right. So it's it's a real leap of faith for an agency to say, yes, we will pay. How much do you have to pay? What would the agency have to pay? The agency would have to pay, obviously, the $100 for every supervision session unless okay. they can contract with a board consultant to come in and do multiple supervision sessions for a whole team of individuals at an agency. So there's a lot of contracting that can be worked out. But again, I'm not saying anything is free. Sure. So it would be, the agency would have to pay a minimum of $200 for those four supervised hours to occur. Right. And then it's $175 to take the exam. So that's $375. And then it's $75 to become a member of the National Council. So $450. Minimum. Minimum. And as you and I know, because we've worked in agencies, getting agencies to just write a check for $450 is not easy. Not easy. And that is assuming that the 30 training hours you took were all free. Oh, good point. Because you might have to pay for those also. Right. So if your agency doesn't have to pay for it or doesn't pay for it, then you, the social worker, would would be paying for this out of your own pocket. Right. Is there any prohibition against charging for services because you're not certified? There isn't, and the reason I say that is you have to be working with problem gamblers in order to accrue the hours. So obviously you're already working with them, and it's very rare for someone to seek services um, with just one problem. 
And so depending on if they have insurance and they initially came to you for depression or bipolar or something like that, you're already getting reimbursement that way. So some other things that can that you can do to work towards your certification is become very familiar with the Pennsylvania Council on Problem Gambling. And uh, they they are the gatekeepers of a lot of information and they are the ones that disseminate information all across the state and across multiple states. So I was actually doing a training for probation officers, and I contacted the PA Council on Problem Gambling, and they gave me all kinds of literature to give to all the probation officers. So that's the public awareness piece, and that also counts towards your 100 hours. Any type of public awareness that you can do um, and document also counts. Probably one of the the last things that I think is important, and this is why you might need to listen to the podcast more than once, there's a couple specific individuals that you would want to get to know, and they would need to know who you are. Um, The first one, his name is Jim Pappas, and he is the executive director for the PA Council on Problem Gambling. That's where all the referral information is provided, and that is where the gambling hotline number for Pennsylvania is overseen by. Jim Pappas, when he understands and gets more familiar with you and your possibly your resume or your CV, he then is able to forward your name to the hotline so that if, when individuals call that hotline and they get the individual's geographical area, for my, my example would be Allegheny County, then they give names of all of the individuals that are certified to treat, um, and then the individual can call all those individuals. So it's great uh, marketing. Um, however you want to, you know, increase your business, your revenue, whether it's through the agency, they, they list the agency, but again, it has to be the agency plus the individual. So it's a lot more exposure for your professional development investment. The other person is a woman named Joanna Franklin, and she has been brought in. She's actually helped a number of states when casinos came into the region work on this whole idea of being prepared. And Joanna is very accessible and responds very quickly to emails with questions of all types. And she has just been invaluable for me to figure this out. And this is partly why I wanted to do the podcast was so that all of the individuals don't have to keep emailing Joanna. They can listen to the podcast and get this step by step. Uh, But Joanna's um, name is actually on the national website. And her email is on there, but it's under NCG, excuse me, ncpgambling at aol.com. And she responds to emails very quickly. And, and we'll go ahead and put these up on the uh, Social Work Podcast website as well. Yes. Uh, just go to socialworkpodcast.com and you can find these email addresses and the phone numbers and any of the links that we're uh, going to mention or we have mentioned uh, so far on the podcast. So the other thing to know and to start to memorize is the PA hotline number itself, uh, 1-800-848-1880. That hotline is not just for those that are in crisis. That is actually something that we can call and ask other questions. I just actually I mean, we, called uh, we as providers? Absolutely. Okay. I just called it last week. Uh, to better understand um, the referrals that were coming in and some of the information and who else is in geographically in my region so that we can, um, you know, work together closely. So they were very helpful with that. But if I had a question, um, a treatment-related question, uh, insurance-related question, billing-related question, I can call that 800 number, 
leave a message and someone will get right back to me. And I don't want people to think that the hotline means that it's a crisis hotline. It isn't something that is answered automatically. You do have to leave your name and number because what they do is then they filter it to the individuals assigned to that county. So it's more like a warm line. Absolutely. Websites to know, www.ncpgambling.org. That's the National Council of Problem Gambling. The www.pacouncil.com, that's the Pennsylvania's Council on Compulsive Gambling. And for the professional testing information, www.ptcny.com. Just to recap, Jody, it sounds like there's a real push legislatively to increase the number of certified gambling counselors in Pennsylvania and part because we've got gambling coming into Pennsylvania. Uh, But this information that we've talked about isn't just applicable to Pennsylvania if you're talking about national certification, that in any state where there is gambling casinos, you're going to have the requirement that there are nationally certified gambling counselors. Is that correct? That's correct. So what we've been talking about today is just this long and, and somewhat confusing process for how to actually get certified, where to go for more information. Last question. Let's say I move to another state. What does the national certification mean to me in other states? That's a great question and one that I really, again, like because of the professional development piece. As I stated before, the Pennsylvania certification's competency is only applicable in Pennsylvania. So if you move and you have the competency in problem gambling, you get to start at ground zero practically. Mm. Um, With the national certification, you can... You can go to any state, carry your national certification with you if you're NCGC1, and then you have to review that state's minimal requirements for continuing to keep your certification. So some states might require 60 training credits every two years. Others might require only 30. So you need to understand a little bit more about that. how that, that state has adopted the national certification guidelines. So getting the national certification provides you flexibility. And it is just that. It's a national certification, even though the requirements for maintaining that certification vary from state to state. That's right. It does offer the flexibility, but it also supports the very core values of social workers. And it's in the best interest of the client. And so you you do have to spend the time. You do have to invest in it. It is professional development that you and only you can get for yourself. You have to work with this population. You have to read the books, understand the research, and yet that makes you that much more ethical and clinical in treating this population and their families. So, Jody, thanks so much for explaining all of this. And uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, there are other related episodes having to do with pathological gambling, and you can find those on the website. So thanks so much. Thank you. And if anybody ever needs to contact me, um, they can easily email me. That's another one of the informational links we'll put up there at jrb127 at pit.edu. I'm more than happy to answer any questions that anybody has. That's very generous of you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
So I'm Jonathan Singer. Thanks for being with me today for this episode of the Social Work Podcast. If you missed an episode, visit our website at socialworkpodcast.com. If you have suggestions for future podcasts, please email me at jonathan at socialworkpodcast.com. And to all the social workers out there, keep up the good work. We'll see you back here next time at the Social Work Podcast. Thank you.